So we've been looking at the book of Galatians. I want to finish up chapter 2 with us tonight. Uh, We've been studying the book of Galatians again, kind of reviewing things. Paul started a church and he left. Some people came in, they started teaching something different. Uh, They took what he said to be truth, but then they added stuff to it. And it actually caused a lot of division. So there was a, a lot of division in the church when it started back in Jesus' time. Uh, division racially, Jews, Gentiles, uh, they had division uh, in all kind of economic, in different areas. But the biggest area was the Jews and Gentiles because again, remember even in Acts 2 when the church started in Pentecost, it was the Jewish people that were there celebrating Pentecost. So those 3,000 that were converted were Jewish people. So in the beginning of the church, it was nothing but Jews that was in God's church. Then the Apostle Paul start preaching, Peter starts talking, and then the Gentiles start being converted. So now all of a sudden, all these Jews see these other people who were considered pagans and horrible people now coming into the church, and they didn't really like it very much. And so this is what Paul is talking about in the book of Galatians. So the book of Galatians, again, is Paul trying to write to the church to help them understand about grace, God's grace, and how everybody can come into God's grace. Not just for the Jews, not just for the Gentiles, but for all mankind to come into God's grace. I heard a little story called The Seven Ages of Man. At 20, he wants to wake up romantic. At 30, he wants to wake up married. At 40, he wants to wake up successful. At 50, he wants to wake up rich. At 60, he wants to wake up contented. At 70, he wants to wake up healthy. At 80, he just wants to wake up. You know, as we get older, older, we have different views. Our views of life changes as we get older. Saul of Tarsus was on his way to Damascus. And that's when he encountered Jesus, thus he became the Apostle Paul. This actual act of Jesus encountering Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus, remember he was blinded by the light and he fell off the horse? This was actually the the death of the greatest law-keeping man there was. Because back in that day, they had the laws. The Pharisees had their laws, their rules, their list of things to do to become a Christian. And the Apostle Paul, Saul at the time, he was a Pharisee above Pharisees. I mean, he kept every rule, every letter of the law. But yet, after that time, when he met Jesus, it all changed for him. No longer was he a man after the law. Look over in Galatians chapter 2. I hope this thing in Galatians is helping you. Even if not personally, just give you more Bible understanding of how it all comes together and how we can need to go deeper. Because we can just read a chapter and think, oh, that's good. Well, how does it apply? But there's so much more in the Bible than what we see when we just read for the first time. In Galatians 2, we're going to read in verse 15 through 21. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. 
If, while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I reveal what I destroy, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through, through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I am no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loves me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. I want to help us learn about the book of Galatians. Because even as I read that, back in the day I would read that and think, oh, okay, I don't really grasp it all, but that's some good stuff. And then I just move on to the next thing. But there's a lot in here that sometimes we got to just slow down and try to understand and learn. Because if we really grasp it, it's not just for the moment, it could actually change your life forever. So let me start with this. The, the people that Paul opposed, that he had issues with, he was writing about None of these people would consider themselves bad guys. They all thought they were doing a noble thing. They were standing up for God. They're making sure God's church does not let these sinners come in and destroy the church. So if you went to them and said, man, you guys are like false teachers, they would have been shocked. Like, are you kidding me? We are doing the Lord's will. What are you talking about? I mean, legitimately, they would have thought you were just making up stuff, trying to be funny. Because they didn't have a problem with Paul teaching about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. They were totally fine with that. They had a problem with Paul talking about grace. So they thought, yeah, death, burial, and resurrection is true, but that grace stuff you're talking about, that's going to cause problems, Paul. And the two problems they thought it would cause would be this. One, you're trying to bring the Jews down to the level of the Gentiles. See, in other words, all the Jews, they were the first to receive the gospel. They were the first to become Christians. They're the, they're the, Abraham is their father. I mean, they're the chosen ones. So they were all set. And now you got these Gentiles over here who are pagans. They're worshiping all these satanic things and there's animal sacrifices and human sacrifices and all that. So they used to look at them like, stay away. You remember how Jesus, uh, when they said, why don't your disciples wash their hands? Because if you interact with a Gentile, you need to come back and clean yourself. It's kind of like Gentile cooties. You know, stay away from them. Don't touch those Gentiles. That's how they view them. So they were here, the Gentiles were here. And now Paul comes in and says, they're all saved by grace. So now, boom, everybody's at the same level. They were like, whoa, no, we're not at the same level. They are second class Christians. They are lower than us. They are not the same as us. So that's where the problem came in. Yes, death, burial, resurrection. But this grace stuff that makes them equal to us, we're not having that, Paul. So this is what you got to see. This is what the Galatians and this is what the church had to deal with back during this time. They thought, okay, you're trying to make them equal to us. Not going to happen. Why? Because the second thing is that if you let them into God's church, they're going to bring all their worldly 
ways into the church. And now you're going to mess up God's church. Paul, you are messing up God's church by letting these Gentiles come in here and consider themselves equal to us. So they had a lot of problems with the Apostle Paul. Not his preaching about Jesus, but his talk about grace. Now say this, and, and we think, okay, that's how they were. But again, as we keep talking, sometimes we can see a little bit of ourselves in this very nation. Especially if we've been around 15, 20, 30 years. It's kind of like, when we were here first, and this is how you need to do it. And you young whippersnappers coming in here and messing things up, and you don't really get what it's supposed to be like. We could be the same way as they were back in Galatians. Does that mean all the new converts are just going to come in and mess up the church with sin? No. If we teach and love people the way Jesus did, the church is going to be fine. But a lot of the problems is those who think they're at a different level than everybody else coming in. They thought if you don't teach the law to these Gentiles, they're going to mess up the church. Now the law we're referring to is rules. A set of rules, a set of things. Okay, you're saved by grace, but you got to do this, 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 and this. Mm. And so they're saying, you're not teaching them this, 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 and this, Paul, so they're going to mess up the church. they got to understand the law and follow the law. Follow these set of rules. Now, in all honesty, we even had something like that. We never said it verbally, we as in the church. We never said it verbally, but a lot of us, myself, maybe you, if you want to be honest, I don't know, thought... Sometimes my salvation was based upon how many people I share my faith with. Mm. Talk about that. Yeah. It's based upon how many, I gotta have this quiet time, I gotta have this disciple time, I gotta have this, this, this. Yeah. We created our own set of rules sometimes. Never said it verbally, but inside we live like that. Yep. If I'm not sharing my faith every day, I'm going to hell. I'm not a real disciple. Guys, that is not what Jesus or the Apostle Paul taught. Now, I preached, I did this series in a different church. I ain't gonna tell you what. I had a lot of people have issues with it. Because now they're saying, so you're telling everybody you don't have to share your faith anymore. You're telling everybody they can go out and smoke and they can go do stuff and we're all forgiven. Absolutely not. What I'm telling you is, because of grace, you learn to say no to sin and not yes to sin. But some people have a hard time embracing this. And here's why. Because it's easier to follow a set of rules than to have your own conviction about it. Because when you got a set of rules, then all of a sudden, am I following the rules? Then I'm good. So I know I gotta be at church and I'll be there on time. I know I gotta read my Bible because I don't want Antoine asking me. I know I gotta share my faith because I don't want Felix talking to me about sharing my faith. But then when you strip that away, all those rules, and say it's by the grace of God, now you gotta be motivated on your own. Yes, yes, yes. Which means a lot of people come late, don't share their faith, don't have disciple time, because now they don't feel the law requiring them to do that. See, that's between you and God. Yeah, yeah. Because God has said, if I let my son die for you, how would how come you wouldn't want to have quiet times? How come you wouldn't want to share your faith? So this is not like let's just all go sin. No, you got it totally wrong. There's a difference in freedom in Christ and you 
smoking after church, getting drunk, doing all kinds of stuff. That's See, that's the kind of religion I grew up in, which made me not want to be in church. Because they say one thing, and I knew it was totally opposite of what it was. So they had these two concerns for Paul. One, you're trying to make us equal. We're not going to be equal. Two, you're gonna, they're going to condemn the church. They're going to mess the church up if you let this group in. So here's Paul's response to them. Look at verse 17. Again, Galatians 2, verse 17. So this is what he's talking about. It says, if we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners. Does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. Paul says, it's Jesus that led us from the law. Okay? And we're teaching what Jesus taught. Not the law, but by the grace of God. So if we're teaching what Jesus taught, you're telling me that I'm leading people into sin? No, there's no way. Because if we're doing what Jesus did, we're leading people away from sin, not into sin. In other words, you're so convinced that these people coming into the church is going to mess the church up. You're more concerned about them messing up the church than you are about you being right with God. Paul says, you know what? The law doesn't save us. How do I know that? Because I was the greatest law keeper ever, and it did not help me one bit. Look at what it says here. Return to Philippians 3 real quick. Two books after Galatians. Philippians 3, verse 4. They're talking about the law, and he says, listen to this. In Philippians 3, verse 4 through 6. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence about the law, he's talking about. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. So he says, listen, if you think the law can set you free, none of y'all can touch how legalistic I was. You can't have it. None of y'all was a Hebrew of Hebrews. You weren't circumcised on the eighth day. You didn't have all the stuff I have. I was faultless. I was killing Christians in the name of the Lord. And then he said, look at verse 7. But whatever was to my prophet, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. He says all those things meant nothing. What's really important is that I have finally found Jesus Christ. So he was a Pharisee. He kept the law. He did. I mean, he followed all the rules. In other words, he would have shared his faith every day. Not miss the quiet time. Not miss the disciple time. He didn't even preach sermons. He didn't have it all perfect, but still not had a relationship with Jesus. See, that's what the law does. The law gives you a bunch of rules. But it doesn't connect you to Jesus. Now, those are amazing words from the greatest law keeper that ever lived. And he says, all that law stuff is rubbish, trash, nothing. That's a radical shift in thinking. Because he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, his entire thinking changed. Not just for that week, but for the rest of his life. 
So, in other words, to understand Paul, I just want to point out two things here uh, for us tonight in understanding the book of Galatians and what Paul is trying to teach here. The first thing is this. In Christ, you stand even though you fall. In Christ, you stand even though you fall. Back in Galatians 2.15. Galatians 2.15 says, We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. Again, how did he know that? Because they had the best law, rule, system ever. And it didn't work. The bottom line is this. The law can only instruct you, but it cannot save you. Rules can only instruct you, but they can't save you. The law can tell you what's wrong, but what happens after you do what's wrong? The law can't save you. It only puts you in jail. Think about the laws that we have in our country. All they do is tell you what's wrong. And if you break it, you go to jail. None of those laws save you. And this is what he's trying to point out. Listen. It's law. It can teach you what's right and wrong, but it cannot save a single sinner. Paul started to finally understand that it doesn't mean the law is bad. The law actually has a very important function. Because of the law, it helped them see we need Jesus. Because they followed the law for so long, followed a set of rules for so long, followed tradition, followed custom, and they still weren't fulfilled in their lives. Now how many times does that happen to us? We think if I do this system, it's going to work. If I follow this program, it's going to work. Oh, here's a new diet plan. Let's see how that works. I mean, we have so many different things. How many New Year's resolutions do we start out with? And then what, what was it? I forgot what I had. I mean, we just there's so many things we can get so concerned about rules and systems that we forget the most important thing. The law cannot change you, but the Holy Spirit can transform you. And this is what we need to understand. And this is what Paul came to realize. Again, in verse 16. You know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Christ Jesus. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ, and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. And that's the first time Paul uses the word justified here in the book. And that's very important to understand. Justification means God takes a sinner that believes in Jesus and declares him righteous. Now I need to say that again sometimes because sometimes we don't we don't consider ourselves righteous before God. Mentally we may know it, but you don't always act like it or feel like it. Because of sometimes how your day goes, work, marriage, family. Sometimes you feel like it's just, it's just horrible. I mean my life just is out of control, it's crazy. Now the problem is with most of us is that again, we think that's too good to be true. I'm so jacked up, how can God look at me and say I'm a perfect child? Paul says, it's only one way to fulfill the law, and that's if you stand in Jesus. Then if you're in Jesus Christ, even when you break the law, you're still standing in Jesus because you're covered in his righteousness. Picture it like this. If this, if this auditorium was just a big field of grace, no matter how many times you fail, 
you're still going to land in grace. You can get up, run, stumble, fall, where you fall, in grace, time and time again. If you are clothed with Christ, forgiven by the blood of Jesus, you stand in Jesus. No matter how many times you fall, you're still falling in Jesus. Yes. Because that's what's over you. That's what's covering you. You can fall and there he is. Guys, we can be forgiven. What does this mean? This means you need to be more confident than you already are. Amen. Too many times, many of us aren't confident enough. We don't have enough courage. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm covering you all No matter what, how you fall, where you fall, as long as you're standing in Jesus, you're still landing in a field of grace. That's the first thing Paul had to understand. And I say that because you think about Paul, he was killing Christians, going door to door, drag them out the house. So he would drag out the wife and say to the husband, denounce Jesus as Lord or she dies. So it's your choice. I will not denounce the Lord. They ram a sword right through the wife, right in front of them. They bring out the husband and wife. They say, denounce Jesus or your kids are going to get killed. We're not denouncing Jesus. They would take sheepskin and put it around the kids and then throw them out there to the wild dogs. And the wild dogs would consider them a sheep. They smell the skin, all the stuff, and just devour and kill the kids in front of the parents. This is why he says, you know what? If you're single, stay single. Not like that's a, a curse. There's no such curse, so don't be thinking that. But he said that because, can you imagine the pain people had to go through watching their spouse being killed? Having your kids being killed in front of you? Because you're not denouncing Jesus. So it wasn't like, you know, you, you deserve to be single all your life. No, 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 no. The way Paul was saying it, he was saying it in a sense of to spare you from a lot of sorrow that could happen. Now that doesn't occur in our time right now in the U.S. In other countries, people are still being tortured and beaten and killed for Jesus. True. But this is what you got to understand. This is what he's telling us. Listen, guys. Paul had to have these thoughts run through his mind day after day. I killed that person. I gave the word to kill those kids. I killed those. And then he goes into a town and preaches, and then he sees that family sitting out there. But now they're Christians. And now as he's there, they didn't have money. The way they lived is those Christians took them in their home and took care of them. So now somebody, maybe he killed their kid, is now saying, hey, I want to welcome you into my home, give you a meal, you can sleep here. Now you know Paul's thinking, sleep? With one eye open, I don't know about this. But day after day, the Christians brought a man, took care of him. Remember when they tried to kill him? The Christians lowered him down out of a basket, out of a window. I mean, they took care of him. Amen. Now you talk about forgiveness. Now you think about the issues we are struggling to forgive. Paul had their spouse and kids killed. And they're showing him hospitality. Guys, we need to get over whatever issues we have. Whatever it may be. So this is what Paul is saying. Listen. He can preach this because he lived it. 
Because he had to go through those things. You think you got different things you got to get through mentally. He had every single day. And he talks about it. Not just his health, but the burden of thinking of all the churches. What was part of that burden that he had to go through? Thinking about all the people that he killed. But he's saying, God forgave me. And that's why he calls himself the least of all the apostles. Because none of those other guys did the things he did. But why did he do those things? Because he was a law keeper. One of the rule followers. Zealous for the Lord. But see, what did that law-abiding citizen end up with? Nothing. But sorrow and pain until he met Jesus. So the first thing, if you stand in Jesus, in Christ you stand even though you fall. Second point is this. In Jesus you live even though you die. Now... I'm just gonna be honest with you. This, this ain't this. This is a, a side note. One of those little stuff things in the Bible. I put a lot of work into these lessons. One of the things that's discouraging is when people are just listening to the lesson. I know they get it, but I don't know if you really get it because I'm like, at least write some notes down. At least have something to go back and look at. I'm not going to email everybody my notes every time. And that's what a lot of people are doing. Maurice, can you send me notes? Can you send me notes? I'm not going to keep sending the notes. Why don't you take some notes for your own sake? If you choose not to, you do it. I'm not angry about it. I'm still going to preach what I need to preach. Amen. But my point is, how can we really grow if we're not being students of the Word? We say we're, you know, that's what a disciple is, a student. An apprentice, you know, somebody who studies. But yet, honestly, I can hear something like this and walk away feeling good and being different, but it ain't gonna last till maybe Friday night. So you go through a hard time, what are you gonna look back on and reflect? Not everybody can get on a website and listen to the lesson all over again. So I just want to encourage you with that. It's not a rebuke, it's not, I'm not angry. But if we really are going to grow, we're going to have to understand we need to we need to dig deeper than what's going on. That's just a personal side note. Just want to say that. So in Jesus you live even though you die. So if that just made somebody sad, you don't understand. You fail in grace. So even though you may have failed something, you still got God's grace. Don't get all bummed out and discouraged. Next time you come, use your phone, get a pen and paper, just change. That's all it is. Wasn't nearly enough yeses on that, but you can deal with it. What Paul does is that he takes the doctrine of justification and combines it with union of, with Christ. And these next few verses are so important. Galatians 2.20 One of the greatest needs in the church today is to understand what it, what it means to be united in Christ. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Christ died my death. Now I'm in him. So when God looks at me, since I've been raised with Christ, all he sees is my life in Christ. In other words, the law, the rules that sin has a consequence of death was fulfilled when Christ died for me. So now, the life I live, I need to live it in Christ Jesus. 
needs to be a life of Christ. So when God looks down, he doesn't look down and see Maurice. He sees the life of Christ. God did all he did and let his son die on earth. And all he asked for us is to replace his son. The things his son would do, he wants us to do. That's all he said. I let my son die for you. All I want back from you in return is for you to be my son. Imitate him. Do what he would do. That's all he asked of us. Now, are we going to be perfect and do the miracles he did? No. But are we trying our best to give back to God? Back in Galatians Look at Galatians 6, 14. See, they were arguing about circumcision and all this and that. And Paul says, that is totally irrelevant. The real issue is our lives in Christ. Galatians 6, verse 14. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation, peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. He says, you know what, all this circumcision stuff y'all talking about, all this Jews and Gentile stuff, you guys need to grow up. That means nothing. Only thing that really counts is life in Christ Jesus. Only thing that really matters, guys, is are we disciples? Are we living as disciples? That's all that really matters. Because if we die to ourselves, you realize dead people don't hang on to it. Hurt feelings. Dead people don't worry about how I was treated when I was a six-year-old kid, or how the, I got bad advice from somebody in the church back four years ago. If you die to yourself, which is to deny yourself daily, die yourself daily, then you know what? We don't have anything to hold on to. And you can tell people that have really died to Christ because you see them just happy-go-lucky. And you know, there's always several of them in the church. And what happens to the law keepers? They look at them and say, they're so fake. Nobody can be that happy all the time. They're not real. They full. How come they just can't be a happy Christian that's died to their own way of life? So the issue may not be them, but us. What does it mean to have a crucified life? Paul says to die, we must die to our sin. You know a story of Abraham Lincoln. One day he came to a slave trading block and a young black woman was put up for sale and he bought her. Then he took her aside and said, Madam, I release you, you are free. She said, what do you mean? He said, I mean, you are free. She was perplexed. She said, you mean I can say whatever I want to say? He said, yes, you're free. She said, you mean I can do whatever I want to do? He said, yes. She said, you mean I can go anywhere I want to go? He said, yes. She said, then I choose to go with you. I choose to surrender to the one who set me free. See, that's what we got to ask ourselves. Have I surrendered to the one that set us free? Rules don't set you free. They bind you up. They tighten up your butt cheeks a little bit. They're like, oh, I got to keep all these different things. I'm just so tight up in here. That's what rules do. They don't set you free. But Jesus says, I came and give you life to the full. The demand of grace is to be united with Christ through grace. Put faith in Jesus, become united with Jesus. Romans 6, 3 and 4. We're going to wrap it up here. Romans 6, 3 and 4. Then I just want to take some questions. If you guys have some questions or something you want to ask, we can talk about it. But 
Let's look at this real quick. Romans 6, 3 and 4. Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So what happens when you're baptized? You're united with Christ. Jesus died and was buried in the tomb, but he rose on the third day. We need to die to our old way of life. We're buried, but buried in the waters of baptism. So at that point, in the waters of baptism, that's where not just our sins are removed, true, but that's where you come in contact and union with Jesus. So once you come up out that water, we're raised to a new life, just like he was raised when he came up out the tomb. So the death, burial, resurrection that Christ went through, we go through the same thing. Death in the old way of life, buried in the waters of baptism, raised with Christ. Now at that waters of baptism, that's where again, you come in contact through our faith with the blood of Jesus and our saved. So everybody says you don't need to get baptized to be saved. How do you come into union with Jesus if not being baptized? It's not going to happen. And again, baptism being immersed. I'm not talking about immersion. And this is what he's saying. we got to understand what does it mean to have union with Jesus? What happens? Baptism is the death and resurrection you experience with Christ. There's a man in Argentina named Juan Carlos Ortiz. When he baptizes people, he says, I kill you in the name of Jesus. Why? Because it's the death that you're going through. Now, that's his words. This is just his terminology. But yet, that kind of makes it a little bit more intense, doesn't it? Yes. I kill you in the name of Jesus. Do we really even visualize ourselves being killed to our old way of life? Mm-hmm. Or is it just an emotional, I'm going to get baptized? Guys, we got to think about that for a moment. A story of Adele Gaborah. An older woman that lived many years in Worcester, Massachusetts. Her neighbors heard that she was about to move to a nursing home. They assumed when they had seen her for a couple of days that she had moved. One day, someone noticed that her mail was piling up at the door, so they called the post office and said, don't bring the mail anymore. Another neighbor paid her grandson to go over every week and cut her lock. Another neighbor noticed her pipes had frozen, so they called the water department and had them turn the water off. They did a wonderful job taking care of Adele's house. The problem was, she didn't move. Four years later, when the city came to inspect, they found that she had died of natural causes in her home. They cleaned up the outside very well, but there was still death on the inside. This is what Paul is telling us. The law can yoke you and help you clean up the outside, but the inside can still be full of death. Guys, we've got to look at ourselves and understand It's not about do, 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 do. Because we can do a bunch of stuff with the wrong heart and motivation. And that gets us nowhere near close we got. The real issue is, okay, now that I don't have a set of rules on me, what am I really doing? 
What am I really doing? Am I still being what I thought I should have been back then? Am I still sharing my faith? Am I still reading my Bible because I want to read it and get to know God more? Not because I'm concerned somebody's going to ask me? See, the real issue for all of us now is our own personal convictions about our relationship with God. Amen. So you got to look at this and think, what, what are really my convictions about my relationship with God? Do I really have a conviction that I need to read my Bible every day? Do I really have a conviction that I need to pray every day? But I'm just so busy. You know what? When you're studying the Bible, you used to stay up late or get up early. What about now? Because we've got a couple of years under our belt, we don't think we have to do that? Well, that takes us right back to those Jews who thought, hey, I'm a lot better, and I don't need to be doing all the stuff that those Gentiles were doing. Guys, again, we can find ourselves in the very same prejudice, critical mode as the Jews back in the Bible. Bottom line, what he's saying is, all of us can come to Christ. All of us can be under God's grace. But that grace is what motivates us to do God's will and to be obedient to God. It's not the law instead of rules or getting in trouble that motivates you to obey God. It's the grace that God has given you that prompts you to obey Him. Again, the law. Why? How come you drive down the street and if a police car pulls up next to you, you ain't doing nothing wrong, you just get a little tight. Just because the popo is around you, you start driving a little different. You just kind of make sure everything is all lined up. Because the law has trained you and scared you to act a certain way. But if you're under grace and you know, I'm not doing nothing wrong, I have nothing to worry about. You just drive on happy. See, we got to find out, am I living under law or under grace? Hopefully this has helped you in some kind of way. Uh, 